The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five stocks trying to bounce back after an inflation-induced sell-off that saw consumer prices hit their highest levels in 30 years. The biggest IPO of the year, Rivian, now bigger than Ford. And if the pre-market gains hold... (laughs) It's going to be bigger than General Motors, despite having delivered no cars. Elon Musk apparently making good on a promise to the Twitterverse to offload a massive portion of his Tesla stake. A streaming slowdown. Disney under pressure after a dismal quarterly number. But Bank of America says, though, it is sticking with the stock. And a worldwide exchange exclusive with former Energy Secretary Rick Perry. His take on the growing European energy crisis, Vladimir Putin... And much more, all happening on this Thursday, November 11th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Once again, we are live from London. Look at that. You can see the London Eye, the giant Ferris wheel. If you haven't been here, you got to check it out. It's a little touristy, yeah, but... It's tall. You can see everything, and it is an absolutely stunning day today. All right, let's get right now to your money. Still sitting just off record highs, even with a little bit of a drawdown on Wednesday. We are seeing futures higher across the board, not making too much of it. They are up. We are NASDAQ futures have turned, though, even higher than they were just a few minutes ago. Remember, at this hour, we keep telling you it's 5 a.m. on the East Coast. Not a lot of futures trading action. As more people come in, whether it's here in London or Frankfurt or in New York, they start to bid up those, those futures. And we're seeing NASDAQ futures up very nicely, up 102 points right now. So we're going to tell you something that you already know. Inflation is on the rise. Costs for everything going up pretty much everywhere. The official inflation data hitting a 30-year high in October. That is going to wipe out most of the wage gains People are going to use their extra pay to pay more for the stuff they buy or to heat their home or to fill up their car with gas. So unless we get a turn today and tomorrow, and we could based on those futures, the Dow, NASDAQ, S&P are all on track to snap five-week win streaks. Although with NASDAQ futures up 102 points right now, we could see that pop. And just a reminder and an important one, it is Veterans Day, honoring the men and women who have served our country. First off, thank you to all of them, the bond markets today. They are closed, so that could impact stock trading. All right, two big money movers to hit right off the top of the show. First up, Disney shares down. Fourth quarter results disappointing. It's streaming subscriber number coming in light. Disney stock down almost 5%. We'll get much more on that and analysts take in a moment. Stock number two, Tesla. What else? New disclosures out after the close yesterday showing that one Elon Musk offloading nearly $5 million in Tesla stock since Monday and well, it may look on the surface as kind of a make good to his Twitter followers following that poll about whether he should sell. At least one billion of this share sale was initiated back 
In September, I should have said five billion, not five million. Five million for Elon Musk is like dropping a half a penny on the street. My bad. All right, around the world, a mixed picture overnight in Asia, despite Evergrande Group being in the headlines once again. Within moments of defaulting on its debt, Evergrande did pay some coupon holders. The third time, it has just squeaked in under that default wire in just about a month. We are seeing Evergrande up just a little bit. But again, this is a big story, one that investors are watching. Here in Europe, trading is just getting underway. It's about split. We're seeing slight gains on the indexes, but we've got a giant wall just over here to my left in our beautiful London studios. And I could see about half. I'm not going to read them all to you because there's like 500 names, but about half are in the red, half are in the green. Two early standouts here. Delivery Hero lifting its 2021 revenue guidance after strong third quarter numbers and Burberry declaring a dividend as revenue returns to pre-pandemic levels. Both shares, by the way, on the move. Delivery Hero is up. Burberry down just a touch. All right, let's get now to some of this morning's top stories stateside, including more on the absolutely dare we say, electric public offering for Rivian. Silvana Hanau is here with that and more. Electric, Silvana. <laughs> yes, Brian, that's not right. good. good morning. <laughs> well, it is the largest yeah. IPO of the year. Shares of electric vehicle maker Rivian surging in its NASDAQ debut and closing with a market value well above that of Ford and just a few thousand dollars below General Motors at $85.9 billion dollars. The company's stock started trading at 106.75 a share, almost 37% higher than its IPO price and four times what it was valued at in the private markets. Rivian, which is backed by companies like Ford and Amazon, has just over 50,000 pre-orders from consumers for its R1T pickup truck and R1S SUV, as well as an order from Amazon for 100,000 commercial delivery vehicles to be delivered by 2025. So far, it's delivered just a handful of these vehicles to date. The scandal-plagued Aussie media is reportedly being investigated by the Justice Department and SEC. According to the New York Times, federal prosecutors in the Eastern District of New York have contacted at least one firm that's dealt with Aussie in the past. The Times adding the SEC has sent inquiries into two companies that weighed investments in Aussie. And today is Singles Day in China, a one-day shopping festival akin to Black Friday here in the States. But while past years have been marked with lavish spending and an Alibaba-sponsored sales clock, this year retailers are focusing their efforts more on President Xi's common prosperity government agenda, reaching out and supporting farmers and small communities instead of big cities. Brian, back to you. Happy Singles Day Happy to all of our viewers, day. by the way, there in China, just yep. spending it up. Silvana, thank you very much. You we'll see you in a few minutes. All right. Let's get back now to the markets and that focus on the white-hot CPI data, Consumer Price Index. Because the big question investors probably have right now is can stocks continue to run higher even if inflation runs hotter? And if so, where to invest? Joanne Feeney is a partner and portfolio manager at Advisors Capital Management and joins us now. And Joanne, it's, it's good to have you on. I saw your tweet. Thank you, by the way, for, for getting up early. We had a little bit of a hiccup yesterday. Now NASDAQ futures are up more than a half a percent. So I think we, we answered our own question. Why don't investors seem to, to give a whatever about inflation data from a stock perspective? Well, Brian, I think, and hello to you in London. Um, I think that uh, investors are recognizing that the, a lot of the inflation surge is being driven by these shortages. And the shortages are a blessing in disguise to equity investors because it means there's still a lot of real growth to come. 
as these shortages, whether it's semiconductors or materials, abate, that means more production, more sales, more profits. So a lot of the inflation surge is uh, is coming from these shortages. And so that's why it's not as worrisome as it might be otherwise. Okay, some good news there. Does it matter if it is, I hate the word because nobody actually knows what it means, transitory? Does it matter if inflation stays hot for six months or the next two years? At some point, would it matter? Yeah, it definitely would matter if expectations become unmoored from the, the Fed's 2% target. So far, they, they still have been pretty well anchored. And you see that in longer term interest rates, that the inflation expectations you know, do come back down. You know, that chart you showed earlier with the used car sales going up 26 percent is a real good example of what's driving this. And so long as inflation uh, does remain anchored longer term, so long as the market continues to believe that the Fed has the tools to keep this uh, under control and not let a wage price spiral, as so many are worried about, uh, take off, you know, then it's an okay situation for equity markets. I mean, we've seen companies be able to pass on these cost increases into prices. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we're seeing it in inflation. Yeah. And part of that is also housing, either owner equivalents, rents, or just home prices up more than 15% year over year nationally. But that is not scaring you off of Lennar. That is one of the picks you brought for us today. Right. I mean, take a look at Lennar. It's in the perfect spot in the housing market. They build entry level and one step up houses. That's where a lot of the strength is. We've got a lot of millennials coming out, finally buying homes. And the inventory in existing homes is below 2.5 months. So there's a lot of demand there still. And what we saw when Lennar last reported, which was back in September, they saw their revenue per square foot go up 14 percent, well above their cost per square foot going up just 8 percent. So they're clearly able to pass on these cost increases and they're going to see a lot of demand ahead of them. Watching then shares of Lennar. It's been kind of bouncing around flat for the last year, but you're making the the fundamental case for L-E-N, and we appreciate it. Joanne Feeney, we appreciate you getting up early. Have a great day. Thank you. You bet. All right, we have got a lot more to do here on Worldwide Exchange. When we come back, maybe call it peak alt meat. Our shares of Beyond Meat are looking a little rancid this morning. Look at that, down almost 20%. Yuck. Plus, much more on Disney, the streaming slowdown, and its plans to join Facebook in the metaverse. Bank of America's Jessica Ehrlich is here with the bull case. And later, a worldwide exchange exclusive former Energy Secretary Rick Perry. His take on the global energy crisis, Putin's pipeline power play, and more. We're back with NASDAQ futures soaring. Good Thursday morning. See you in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back. Time now for some of your big money movers. The three key stock stories that are happening now. Let's go. Stock number one, we showed it to you before the break. I mean, look away. Beyond Meat reporting a wider than expected fourth quarter loss. With revenue also falling short of estimates, the company also disappointing the street with a weaker-than-expected sales outlook for the fourth quarter. That stock is down 19%. Stock number two is Affirm, the payments company soaring on fiscal first-quarter results, becoming Amazon's exclusive buy-now-pay-later option. That's good news. Look at that. That stock is up 29%, a bunch of big movers right now. And stock number three, a fumble for Bumble. Shares down on a wider loss. It was nearly an $80 stock, by the way, back in February. It's a dating app. Stock is now down 6% as well. So it's lost almost half its value from its highs earlier this year. All right, on deck, our exclusive conversation with former Energy Secretary Rick Perry about Europe's growing energy crisis and Russia's role in it. Plus, why Rivian is not the only pure pay electric vehicle maker making waves on Wall Street right now. Check out shares of Lordstown Motors. You thought I was going to say Tesla, didn't you? But it's Lordstown Motors. Maybe getting its own Rivian pop as well. That stock up nicely. We're back right after this. Today's big number. Two billion. That's how many out-of-stock messages U.S. consumers received in October, according to data from the Adobe Digital Economy Index. That's up 325% since the same month in 2019. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back and good morning. Look at that. I mean, we had a little bit of a bump in the road yesterday with stocks, but it's looking like investors pulling the honey badger. They don't care. They're just buying equities, buy the dip. It's, hey, by the way, why wouldn't you do that? It's been working for the last year and a half or so. NASDAQ futures, they are up big time, up 106 points right now. Again, it's not that often when you see the NASDAQ futures nominally a bigger number higher than the Dow. The Dow is a lot bigger. So on a percentage basis and a numbers basis, the NASDAQ futures, big tech, looking very, very strong on this Veterans Day. All right, outside of that, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines happening in the States. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hey, Brian. Good morning to you. Yes, the first lawsuit has been filed in the aftermath of the tragic Rust film set shooting. Serge Zvetnoy, the film's chief of lighting, is suing nearly two dozen people involved in the production. He is claiming severe emotional distress after Alec Baldwin shot and killed his friend, cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Zvetnoy is also accusing crew members of skimping on safety protocols and mishandling firearms. The clock is ticking. 
seeking for former President Trump. Late last night, a federal judge rejected his appeal to delay the release of White House records to the committee investigating the Capitol riot. The National Archives is set to release the papers Friday. After multiple delays, a SpaceX rocket has launched another crew to the International Space Station. Four astronauts will arrive at the station late tonight to begin a six-month science and research mission. According to NASA, with this launch, more than 600 people have now traveled to space over the last 60 years. Brian, for Thursday, those are your news headlines. We send it back to you. Very cool stuff, Francis, and good morning. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Well, we have been in London all this week here on Worldwide Exchange and being out and about. It is evident of one thing. The U.K. is back and it is open for business. The city is rocking. The subways, the tube packed offices seem crowded. And it's about a month wait to get a reservation, even at a mildly popular place. It all feels shockingly normal. And shoppers are coming out in force. Retail sales on the rise higher than before the pandemic and lockdown. So is this the future the U.S. will have once we kind of get to where the U.K. is right now? Let's talk more about all this with our friend Stacey Woodlitz, president of SW Retail Advisors and somebody who no doubt could get us into those hot London restaurants if we were to ask. And we might. <laughs> Stacey, it's possible. It, it, it is it is very it is very good to see you. I mean, I, honestly, I know you've come on in the U.S. and you've talked about it. I'm kind of gobsmacked. To be honest, at how how much people are out, the stores, the malls here, you walk by, they're packed. Is that where the U.S. is going to be? Is that where parts of the U.S. already are? Well, it's where parts of the U.S. already are. And don't forget, the U.K. really just opened in April. So we're kind of behind the U.S. We're more in the the heart of our pent-up demand go crazy. And you saw that Brian, out in the streets here, you can't get a reservation, as you've said, in London. And you saw those retail numbers in the UK up versus 2019. In the US, we're hearing from the malls, you know, Simon Property up 11% sales over 2019. So we are back or exceeding in many cases pre-pandemic. So this is the greatest environment we've seen, pent-up demand, high operating margins due to no inventory in the marketplace and basically no discounts. Yeah, and I think that's the key. It's not just the amount of stuff people are buying. It is not just necessarily what they are spending. It is how much the retailers and the brands may finally make. For years, they were, I I, I hate to say it, dumb about it, right? (laughs) They overstocked inventory, Then they had to mark it all down. Smart consumers knew it. They'd wait for the 40% off, the 40% off. Now they don't have to do it. So they're going to have stronger profit margins. We get that. I think the question is, Stacey, how long will that last? Is this really a a long-term phenomenon? You know, I think that um, history tells us that many brands and retailers fall back into their old ways. And again, the trick is now they're in the forecasting business. We have to take this very rare period of time and say, okay, does this trajectory of demand last? And when the supply chain eases and we actually can stock the shelves, does that demand, what does that look like a year from now? Or are we exhausted at that time of purchasing and then retailers ramp up their inventory and we fall back into that cycle of discounting again? And I think this is probably as good as it gets at this moment, not only from investing and operating margins, if you look a year or two out when things normalize, I think we're going to see those discounts yeah. come back. 
Okay, so they will get uh, not smart again in some way. It's hard to break habits of like, you know, 30 years, Stacey, right? All right, go back, answer your own question about supply chains. There have been some anecdotal comments of car makers in Japan who are sort of starting to say things are starting to flow. Maybe some semiconductors are arriving a little bit faster than they used to. That's there. Still a lot of ships off the coast of L.A. Are you hearing from your sources that things are getting any better? From the supply chains, because it doesn't matter <laughs> how much you want to sell a sweater for if the sweater doesn't make it to the store. I'm not hearing a ton of easing up at the moment. And of course, everybody's like, Q3 is not going to be great. Hopefully, we can push stuff into Q4. The problem is when stuff is late, post holiday, you got to mark it down. Um, so, you know, I think for the next four quarters or so, this will persist. So the full price selling will persist. Um, the, I guess the slight bit of good news, as we've talked about in the past, is that prices have come up so much that that tends to be sticky. Um, so in some sense for retailers, yep. this has been an amazing reset. You think about luxury, Chanel has raised their prices 30% this year. I mean, these numbers are crazy for some of the, the high-end retailers. But people are buying they're raising They're prices, but it doesn't seem to matter. Right. That is a sign of a super strong. Well, it's a strong consumer on the luxury side, right? What about the, the rest of us? It's it's strong across the board at the moment. But again, we go back into a normalized uh, demand situation. And this changes pretty quickly, I think. So go get your Chanel bag. Yeah, we're going to have to change. We're going to. Yeah, we're going to have. Yeah, right. We're going to have to change. Keep calm and carry on to. Go nuts and spend wildly, because that, that seems to be more of what it is here. Stacey Woodlitz, thank you very much. SW Retail right. Advisors. All right, folks, I'm just telling you, if you can afford a plane ticket, get on a plane, get over here. All right. Coming up, a worldwide exchange exclusive with former Energy Secretary Rick Perry. We're going to talk about the growing energy crisis here, Putin's role in it, and maybe a little later, something about nuclear. If you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you missed the show, don't worry. You can download or stream it anytime on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. NASDAQ futures soaring up 100 points right now. It'll be a big day for stocks. We're back right after this. Buy the dip? Well, it certainly looks like it. Futures are surging after investors shrugging off that white-hot inflation data. Sticking with Disney, despite a big whiff for the House of Mouse, what Disney is doing to try to turn the tide. How Elon Musk, looking to make good on his promise to the Twitterverse, kind of. It is Veterans Day, November 11th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning. It is almost exactly 5.30 on the East Coast, 10.30 here in London. And just a reminder that because it is Veterans Day, and by the way, a big thanks to all of our veterans, like my dad, 10 years Navy, go Navy, the bond market is closed, which could impact stock trading. So just take that into account right now. If it's impacting it, it's impacting it one way, which is higher because we are seeing stock futures moving, particularly on the technology side as well. NASDAQ futures, they are up six-tenths of one percent. If you're counting at home, 
That is up 102 points. NASDAQ futures up more than Dow futures. All that inflation data, by the way, not impacting sentiment, at least for now. We're going to add more color and context to it, all coming up as we are wont to do in our RBI. But first, let us take a closer look at Rivian. I mean, how could we not? That IPO, hotter than the inflation numbers. Shares soared yesterday and higher again right now. Rivian is now worth more than Ford and literally just a hair, like a couple thousand bucks, under the value of General Motors. Despite its first ever car just rolling off the assembly line last week. If the pre-market moves hold, you can slide Rivian right above GM again. I don't think anybody's actually taken possession of one of the cars. The first truck just off the assembly line, by the way, looks gorgeous. I mean, think about that market value. Company started... uh, Stocks started trading at about 106.75 a share, 37% higher than the IPO, and four times what it was valued at in the private markets. Listen, when you don't have a lot of legacy assets, a lot of legacy pension obligations, health care, tens of thousands of former workers, it, you know, GM and Ford do compress their market cap. But do keep in mind, Ford owns a nice chunk of Rivian. That is going to be worth something. Now, Rivian could finally be the competitor that Tesla has been waiting for. And that stock and its mercurial founder, Elon Musk, also in the news right now. Let's find out why and get more key headlines with Silvana Hanau once again. Silvana. Hey, Brian. Yep, so Elon Musk has offloaded nearly $5 billion worth of his Tesla shares in the first three days of this week. The share sell coming just days after Musk took to Twitter Saturday to ask followers if he should cash in 10% of his stake in the company he founded. While it is unclear if the recent transactions disclosed in a regulatory filing late yesterday were the first installment of Musk making good on his promise to to follow the will of the Twitterverse, what is clear is that at least $1.1 billion of the sales were set in motion when he adopted a blind trading plan back in September. Senator Joe Manchin may delay President Biden's Build Back Better legislation until next year, according to Axios. The news coming amid renewed inflation concerns as inflation hits its highest level in 30 years. With few legislative days left through the end of the year, Manchin says he will instead be focused on the funding the government, raising the debt ceiling and passing the National Defense Authorization Act. House Speaker Pelosi says she intends to pass the Build Back Better bill the week of November 15th. And Foxconn is moving ahead with a plan to acquire a Lordstown Motors assembly plant in Ohio for $230 million with plans to sign the contract at the end of April 2022. The news sending cash-strapped Lordstown surging in the pre-market, it looks forward to the financial relief. The partnership also gives Foxconn a jumpstart on producing fully electric trucks. Brian, back to you. Yeah, big assembly line deal there. Lordstown stock up 13.5%. Thank you, Silvana. Appreciate it. it. All right, now to the house of mouse. Disney shares down on an earnings disappointment nearly across the board, particularly on the new television side. Its operating loss on the direct-to-consumer segment was worse than analyst expectations last night. Disney CEO Bob Chapek speaking to Julia Borston, saying that future streaming growth will be helped by the company planning to double its number of international markets in the next two years. We reaffirmed our guidance of 230 to 260 million households, and we believe that there are two primary drivers of that growth. 
first one is going to be the expansion into new markets. We're going to double the number of markets that Disney Plus is in in international territories uh, by fiscal year 2023. And the second component is obviously going to be new, fresh content across all of our wonderful Disney franchises. All right, joining us now is Jessica Reef Ehrlich, a senior U.S. media and entertainment analyst at Bank of America. Jessica, it's great to chat with you again. I know you called the numbers a little bit disappointing in your note late last night. But there's also this idea that more content will be coming out, kind of time-shifted for <laughs> obvious reasons. Will things get better on the streaming side for Disney? This company, this story for Disney is definitely back half-weighted. Um, there will be uh, some benefit in the first fiscal quarter, the December quarter, from several new markets. They launched bigger in Japan, South Korea, uh, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. So they're generally very strong economic areas. But um, the company did warn, as they typically give headwinds, um, that the real growth will come later in the year when the content ramps up as Bob Chapek, as you just highlighted with Bob Chapek. Yeah, and, and also we know we talked about, I guess they're going to have a promotion for Disney Plus. It's now $7.99 a month. They're going to $1.99. Uh, on one hand, I could see that working. On the other hand, Jessica, you think, well, why do they have to discount? Well, I mean, th that's, a, that's actually a really good point. Disney is about to start to use their asset base to promote Disney Plus and, and their other streaming services. And that is something that other services don't have. They really do have a, a very large asset base. Um, and Disney has yet to turn on that marketing machine. So these numbers are, are not great, uh, but they pre-announced essentially at, at, at a competitive conference in September. So there really was no surprise in the Disney Plus numbers. Um, theme parks also, I'd say the theme park numbers weren't great as well. But there is reason to be optimistic here with international trade opening up. Um, we've heard several CEOs. I think yesterday you had um, somebody on from from one of the airlines saying that they expected this to be a record summer between Europe and the U.S. So we know that international visitors can be 15 to 20 percent or more of total visitors. And they've been missing since COVID started. So that ramp will come as we get closer to summer. Um, you know, the cruise ships are finally coming back online so there are, there are several things that will drive the stock as we get later into the year. Yeah, and it's 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 truly, to your point, sort of a, a back half weighted story. You are recommending it. You did cut your price target a little bit down to 191. So you still see some upside. If you look out, what are the risks? I mean, I don't know if we're going to have any more covid related lockdowns. I don't think there's political will for that. But at these days, who knows what would be the biggest risk to Disney stock, Jessica? Yeah, I mean, this year will be the, the company is definitely in the penalty box. We don't expect the stock to outperform uh, in the very short term. And, and we know that in pre-market trading, it's, it's down pretty significantly. Having said that, um, you know, this year, the company typically will give you the headwinds, not the tailwinds. So we know that the first quarter will be a very difficult quarter, particularly in the media network side. Um, they've got some unusual costs, sports costs and things like that. Um, the direct consumer will have peak losses this year as they ramp up their content spend, which, of course, is a positive as, as we move on. Free cash flow will be uh, impacted by the cruise ships that are coming on. Um, and these are all things that that I think investors are aware of, but but they are headwinds in the, yep. in the near term.
Yeah, some headwinds there. We'll wait for more content. Everything just it's kind of like the it's called the TV supply chain, I guess, Jessica, right? It's like those ships off the coast of L.A., all that content got jammed up as well. So we'll look forward to that, Jessica Ehrlich. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. You're very welcome. All right. Let's continue now our focus on energy, particularly the growing crisis here in Europe, at least parts of it. How Vladimir Putin is using pipelines as a bit of a power play and what, if any, lessons that the United States can learn from Europe's renewable energy transition, which is a few years ahead of ours. On those issues, we had a chance to speak with former U.S. Energy Secretary Rick Perry, and I began by asking him, how did we get to this place and what lessons might we take away from it? Brian, uh, you're correct in the observation that uh, uh, we are at a tipping point, if you will, and we've been there for some time. Um, The move towards uh, renewables, green energy, Uh, is an admirable move. Uh, The state of Texas, while I was the governor there, we made the decision to have a more diverse portfolio. We had pretty much uh, only gas and coal-powered plants. Gas had hit $14 an MCF back in the early 2000s. And we made the decision to look at the expansion of wind so that we would have a more diversified portfolio. That was the right thing to do at that particular point in time. What has happened in all too many places, and particularly uh, in in Europe, in in my opinion, uh, the UK, is that there's been substantially a move away from fossil fuels because of the the green environmental movement that has basically said fossil fuels are bad, notwithstanding that liquefied natural gas and and nuclear uh, power have some of the lowest emissions that there are out there. America lowered our emissions back over the course of the last decade. Uh, the same thing could be happening across the world if liquefied natural gas, of which America has a hundred years supply, would be put into place. So I think the lack of diversity is what's happened. The, the, this move to go uh, to all renewable uh, and 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 there's some there's some great plays there, but you got to be smart about it. And I think all too often uh, there's just been this march towards the left, from my perspective, on green energy that literally is putting people's lives in jeopardy. We'll talk about that a little bit later in your program. Yeah. My bet is that if you line up some events whether it's an extra cold winter, whether it's the breakdown of some of the machinery, whether it's the wind putting blowing, you could literally see deaths occur because of bad policies that have been put in place by the European Union, by the UK. Um, I hope that's not the case. Well, it's not. And we, we spoke with an energy charity that said that families may have to make the decision between, as he said, quote, heating or eating Um, Yeah, the U.K., no country relies on natural gas more than the U.K. to heat homes, and yet they have almost no long-term storage. They closed their main natural gas field and storage called Rough uh, offshore in 2017. They thought no problem buying on the spot market. Now we're seeing spot prices in the U.S., five and a half to six dollars. In the Dutch market or here, some 20, 25, we've even seen $30 in parts of here and Asia. How long do you think this is going to last? And, Mr. Secretary, How much power does this give Vladimir Putin over Europe right now? Well, 
I made the statement over the course of the last uh, 48 hours that I was asked about the price of crude because of the lack of supply. Uh, the Biden administration sending clear messages to the fossil fuel industry. Uh, they don't like them. They are going to put policies into place, uh, regulations into place. They're shutting down pipelines. So the crude market uh, is really being restricted. And I don't think it's out of the ordinary. I think we're $82, $83 today. In six months, you could see $100 crude uh, prices uh, globally. And that will really bust a lot of budgets as we go forward. Yeah, in fact, Bank of America's got a 120 Brent crude target, I think, in, in early spring. But I want to go back to something you and I have spoken about in the past, which is this Nord Stream 2. It's a second pipeline from Russia to Germany. Uh, there's a lot of still political fighting over this. You've got a new administration coming in Germany with the renewables sort of what, not you know having trouble with the wind. Literally, the wind did not blow as much as expected in parts of Italy and in England. And this sort of desperate rush for gas and even coal Putin has got to be loving this. He's got to be in a position where he can now dictate the terms, can he not? Well, let me back up just a little bit. One of the things that we worked on substantially uh, as my tenure as the Secretary of Energy at the direction of President Trump was to sell American LNG into Europe. Uh, the Polish government was very open to that. They understood the importance of that. Uh, the, the Baltic states uh, Ukraine, all of those countries, very, very open, as well as, as Romania. I think I traveled to 15 uh, European countries while I was the Secretary of Energy, uh, talking to them about not only LNG, but about nuclear power uh, and, and um, battery storage, some of the technologies that we were working on. Mm -hmm. And But the, the point is, without substantial liquefied natural gas coming from non-Russian sources. And I, and I say non-Russian sources because there's already a record of Putin shutting down the, the gas supply to places that he wants to put a political finger on, so to speak, uh, to, to get them to do certain things. That is the reason that President Trump was very strong against the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. We had stopped it. We did not think it's a good idea. I think all of Europe did not think it was a good idea for, uh, for Russia to be able to control that energy all through the European continent. So when the Biden administration came in, one of the first things they did, shut down a, a pipeline in the United States, the Keystone, open up a pipeline in uh, northern, uh, through, the, through the, uh, the Baltic Sea there, the Russian gas, I mean, it just didn't yeah. make any policy sense at all. Oh, and I might add, at the same time this is going on, you've got John Kerry jetting around the world, lecturing countries all across the, the European continent and otherwise that they need to quit using fossil fuels. I mean, it's, there's just no consistency here in this administration, and Europe could be the ones that really pay the heavy price. All right, our thanks to Secretary Perry. And by the way, we also spoke with him about nuclear power. Later today, we're going to hopefully hear some of those comments why nuclear power should not be left out of the conversation on renewables and which companies and maybe even stocks could benefit if nuclear and what they call small modular reactors get to know them 
takes off. All right, on deck, more of your big money movers, including the story that has fintech SoFi soaring today. But as we head to break, two other key headlines happening right now. Zillow reportedly selling about 2,000 homes from its now shuttered home flipping business at a Pretium Partners, a New York-based investment company, which intends to rent the houses out. According to the Wall Street Journal, sale just part of a plan to offload about 9,800 houses Zillow owns across America and an additional 8,000 other properties it is currently in the process of buying. Zillow's stock's been an absolute disaster lately. And Sony is reportedly cutting PlayStation 5 production outlook for the year. That due to, what else, component shortages and logistical issues. Bloomberg also reports that Sony originally intended to produce some 16 million units of the year ending March. That target has now been cut to about 15 million. So if you want one for Christmas, buy it now. We're back after this. All right, welcome back. Let us hit a few more big money movers on this busy Thursday. Stock number one is SoFi. Earnings topping forecast. The lender saw strong growth in its members and uptakes of its products. SoFi reporting 15% growth in borrowing driven by new personal and student loans. That stock's up 15%. By the way, don't miss CEO Anthony Noto first on CNBC, 8.30 a.m. Eastern time today. Stock number two is AMC. CEO Adam Aaron filing to sell about $53 million worth of his shares, but calm down. It's all part of an already set trading plan on the company's earnings call this week. Aaron said after the sale he was still owned more than 2 million shares. And stock number three, the Honest Company. Shares are popping, honestly. This is the consumer company. Had solid earnings, sales above most estimates. Things like diaper sales were hot. Maybe the lockdown baby wave is taking off. That stock is up nearly 7%. All right, on deck. It is your morning RBI, and here's a hint. It is all about inflation, but don't worry. It is not boring. We're going to put these numbers into some context to show you just how hot they really are. You know what else is hot? NASDAQ futures. They're up more than 100 points right now. Could be a big day on the Street of Dreams. We're back right after this. All right, time now for your morning RBI. And today, once again, we are talking about inflation. I know, I know, you're probably sick of hearing about it. But inflation is important. And there's an inflation maybe on talking about inflation. But hear us out. This one is not boring, hopefully. It's more context as to where we actually are right now. The consumer price index came in red hot on Wednesday. It rose 6% year over year. It doesn't sound like a lot. It's actually the 10th biggest annual jump ever in the history of America. And it is the largest increase since the fourth quarter of 1990. Oh, my. Things have changed. Keep this in mind. When inflation was last this hot, the yield on the 10-year U.S. government bond was 8%. 8%. And that's actually down from where it had been. By the way, if you're wondering where mortgage rates were back then forget about it because you couldn't have afforded a house lending tree shows that in november of 1990 the average 30-year mortgage was 10 percent now we consider five percent maybe four and a half to be sky high crazy times right but it could get crazier with energy prices likely to rise in the year end and holiday spending already straining supply chains even more it is possible that prices will continue to go up, which could put us into 1982-type inflation territory, the worst we have ever seen, ever. Oh, and a little more context, the last time inflation was this hot, Because I Love You, the Postman song by Stevie B was the number one on the charts, and Home Alone, the original with the super cute Macaulay Culkin, 
was the hot movie. Let's not go back to that and maybe not go back to that level of inflation either. Random, but interesting. Let's dive more into this and the broader impact on the market. Joining us now is Michael Purvis. He is founder and CEO of Talbacken Capital. I tried to put a little context into that. Last time we were this hot, we had an 8% yield on the 10-year. Now we can't get above really, you know, 1.5 or 1.6 to save our, save our lives about it, Michael. Why not? Does the bond market ever revolt and start to care? Well, one thing you have to step back when you think about very low interest rates is that where else are you going to go? You know, Brian, we talk about Tina, there is no alternative. So you buy equities. Well, within the uh, within the the bond market, there's a there's a sense of Tina, too, which is that yields over in Germany, for example, are negative. Right. And throughout much of Europe are negative um, there. Uh, Japan, you get no yield. Right. So so in all these developed market peers of ours. We're actually, um, you know, even at a paltry 1.5, 1.6% on the 10-year, we are, uh, we're, we're a lot more attractive, um, actually. So, so um, there, that's one facet of this discussion. And I think the other thing is simply that the, the, the Fed is keeping uh, interest rates extraordinarily low. I mean, there are hikes being priced in, right? But, but they're, it's not, they're not pricing in something that's going to return to, you know, the the, the 10% levels you were just referencing there. So it's a combination of factors here. Um, and I think when you step back, you know, if you look at like, you know, the broader long-term trends of inflation, they have been trending lower and lower and lower over the decades. Yeah. So I think the expectation is, is that even if some of this is, uh, this inflation is extraordinarily vicious in the short run, it's not going to be perpetually uh, vicious. Um and, and, and there's one when other does go, Michael, Michael, here's what yeah. I don't, I, I'm not a, to quote Forrest Gump, I'm not a smart man, but here's what I don't understand, why gold isn't moving at all. Well, that's a great Nothing. question. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, it started just moving the last couple of days here, but when you look at, at you know, real interest rates are extraordinarily low. Real interest rates, meaning, meaning uh, you know, the nominal interest rates, you know, what you get on, the, you know, your 10-year treasury, less um, some, uh, some inflation metric. Um, they are incredibly low, right? Um, there, which is generally very good for gold. There's two things why gold has been poor this year. One of which is that the dollar hasn't been collapsing. Um, there, it was sliding a lot last year and into the very beginning of this year, and then it stopped. That's one thing. The second thing is I think Bitcoin is and and the and the cryptos have stolen a lot of the thunder um, uh, from gold, and and so people are saying, look, you know, we need a non-fiat currency play. Um, but Bitcoin is a lot more fun. It's a lot more exciting. You can make a lot more money. You know, if gold goes from eighteen hundred to two thousand, that's a nice return. But if gold, if Bitcoin goes from thirty thousand to sixty thousand in a few months, um, you know, that's a much better return. And there's certainly views that Bitcoin can go a lot higher than where it is right now. So, so it's early in its adoption cycle, as some people like to say. And I, um, whereas gold's been around, yeah. been adopted as currency, uh, non-fiat currency, for five thousand years. Well, we'll see if it's the next five months after that 5,000 years. It hasn't been, but to your point, Michael, it is starting to creep along just a little bit. Michael yes. Purvis of Talbot, and always a pleasure to get your views. Thank you very much. 10% mortgages back in the day. No thanks. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We're going to see you tomorrow. Squawk and the gang picking up coverage with NASDAQ futures soaring. Could be another big day for big tech. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great one. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.